This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. everybody or whatever time of day it is for you where you're listening it's morning for me thanks for listening to goat talk with the goat doc i'm on my way to the clinic i'm stuck behind some slow traffic or slower than i would normally go and i'm going to talk some more about pain in animals and goats animals in general goats more specifically I should have made some notes for this. I've been thinking about this a lot. I should have like outlined my thoughts a bit more. The next episode of Tales from the Farm um, is going to talk about why I've been a little preoccupied with other things. Uh, so that'll be coming next week. This will be coming uh, in a couple days. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. I wanted to shout out to Jamie Flanagan, who was my first ever uh, Patreon supporter, which is so exciting. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to have some uh, Patreon thank you gifts. Uh, I think some stickers coming your way. And uh, I so like makes my makes me smile when I got that email from Patreon said you have a supporter. I was like, oh my god, you guys like me. That's so cool. So very very cool. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, thank you. If you guys want to join Jamie in the awesome Patreon supporter club <laughs> for Goat Talk with the Goat Doc, you can visit that web page. I should put a link from my main web page probably at some point here, um, but you can visit patreon.com slash goat doc, and uh, it's a way to help support the podcast. Other ways to help support the podcast are... Um, to share with your friends and, you know, share the podcast with your goat friends, goat loving friends, goat interested friends, whatever, what have you there. Um, and also if you can subscribe, rate and review on Apple podcasts or your podcast player of choice, that helps the computer intelligence apparatus uh, realize that people are listening to the podcast and it bumps it up higher in search results when people are looking for podcasts relating to things about goats. I think we're a pretty special subset of people that are looking for these things. So <laughs> I think it's kind of a the goat niche, but promote the goat, guys. We're going to uh, have a goat world takeover with with learning about goats. Um, yeah, so if you can subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast player of choice, that is most appreciated. I love reading the reviews. If you guys think I should... I know I listen to other podcasts, and I've said this before. They like to, like, read the reviews out loud, and I'm kind of shy about doing that. But if you guys think it's a good idea, maybe I'll do it, or maybe I'll, like, share them on Instagram or something like that. Um, I feel like it's, like, yeah when celebrities are forced to read tweets about them on TV and they're really embarrassed about it. I feel like that's probably a similar feeling that I have, but I appreciate them. I read them. Um, it helps to know when you're putting something like this out into the universe that people are listening and learning and that it's helpful. So 
Yeah. Um, you can always, been getting a little bit more listener email lately too. You can reach me at goat.cara at gmail.com, which is G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. You can find the website, which is goatdoc.com. And there's a contact tab on there if you would like to say hi. And you can also find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. If you like the Twitter, um, most of the things from other social media just bounce to Twitter because I'm not an avid Twitterer. Um, but that is at goat doc Kara, I believe. Uh, speaking of the social media, at this moment, if you're listening to the podcast in real time, I'm running a Instagram giveaway for stickers for the podcast. So I got some stickers made, like I mentioned in the past, and uh, today is when I'm recording. It's September 18th. This will probably get posted and live on Friday morning, like usual. And um, then I'm running the giveaway through Sunday night at midnight, so the 22nd. And then I'm going to pick a bunch of winners and send a bunch of stickers because it's like I got a bunch of stickers now and you guys should stick them on things because that's what they're for. They're not for sitting on my counter at home. Promote the goat, and uh, I gotta say, yeah, one sticker is like promote the goat on it, and the other one is the new logo for the podcast. So you can follow me on Instagram and find that, and uh, yeah. Um, what else? I think that's all of the contact things. Oh, one other thing that I wanted to mention and um, been was listening to another podcast. So if you listen to podcasts, I don't know if you're if you're like me. I listen I listen on Stitcher, which whatever you know, whatever your preferred thing is. I'm not here to promote one over the other. Um, But I have this whole like slew, gigantic list of different podcasts that I listen to, and I'll often like let them pile up for a while and then listen all at once. But I did want to share and shout out to a podcast that I've been listening to called Teacher Vet. And um, just to share with you guys, if you're if you're into the vet aspect of the podcast, um, I know there's some vet students that listen. And um, I think there's a few vets out there that listen too. But or if you're just interested in animals and uh, that kind of, you know, medicine, veterinary medicine, these things. Uh, Teacher Vet is a cool podcast to check out. There's a few cool vet podcasts out there. This one I've been enjoying because it is a married couple who is, uh, the husband is a teacher, a history teacher, and the wife is a small animal veterinarian, and they pick topics um, related to vet med, and they explore the historical aspects as well as, uh, like, the medicine aspects of it. So it's kind of fun. Then they have some fun stories, too. Um, I had messaged them because they were talking about uh, hardware disease in cows in a recent episode, which is traumatic reticuloperitonitis and not like a super common problem in cows, but a problem that happens. And uh, they were talking about the rumen and stuff like that. So I said, hey, check out my episodes on the rumen. And uh, we started talking. So we might do some guest hosting swaps in the future. That would be fun if we can figure out the technology. But in the meantime, um, if you're looking for another podcast to add to your list, check out Teacher Vet. Um, and you can just, you know, you can search Teacher Vet on your 
on your app of choice and that will come up. All right, I think that's all of those things. I think I've got about 20 minutes maybe. I might have to pause and come back to the to the uh, talking about pain on the way home today to finish up all of what I have to say. Or maybe this turns into a three-parter. We'll see what we get going here. Um, so this episode... Things I've been thinking about that I wanted to also talk about um, in terms of pain. One, I mentioned like talking about the different kinds of pain, and I touched on this in the last episode, chronic pain, chronic pain acute pain, nerve pain. Um, and it's not, I guess, like, you know, I sometimes get into all the physiology of these things. I feel like it's slightly less important for for this topic, and um, maybe I'll come back to that. But there's, there's lots of different uh, cell signaling molecules and mechanisms of action that are occurring with pain. Um, you know, I talked in the last episode about like cell death, uh, nerve injuries, those things cause the pain impulse. Cell signaling molecules uh, pick up certain things and it's an ouch that hurts and there's a, a reflexive response to try to get away from that. The and what, why thinking about those uh, types of pain is interesting to me is because that using that information, then I think about what kind of drugs I can use in my patients to help mediate the pain. Um, so I'm going to start, yeah, I'm, we'll start there. Um, one of the causes of pain is inflammation and inflammation is a response it can be a local response it can be a systemic response to a problem um, usually like lots of white cells are recruited uh, there's different cell signaling molecules that I can't recall off the top of my head um, but the like the clinical signs of inflammation are generally heat so if that's like a a local uh, and local means like one spot on the body that's a local inflammation like if you broke your leg or you hit your thumb with a hammer that's why there's swelling and like that spot will feel hot or if you're stung by a bee like for me I have ridiculous local reactions to insect stings and my um there's lots of swelling in humans because we don't have fur. You can see that our skin turns pink. Um, cells are recruited to that area. Inflammation happens. All these cell signaling mechanisms are occurring. Um, and inflammation can be like a cyclical thing. Like inflammation can kind of beget inflammation. If and certainly depending on where locations are, um, just because of that, all of that like rush of white cells and different mediating cell signaling molecules, things that are trying to repair damage, um, things that are in the body's doing to try to contain that trauma or whatever, um, that sometimes just interrupting the inflammation 
I mean, often just interrupting the inflammation or decreasing the inflammation is a very helpful thing to do. So we have a couple of things that can do that in our goat patients. One is steroids and one is NSAIDs, which are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. And, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are called that because they are anti-inflammatories that aren't steroids. When you learn about this stuff in vet school, there's this whole signaling pathway that has to do with, like, COX uh, enzymes and cell receptors that cause inflammation and all basically steroids and NSAIDs interrupt those pathways in different locations. Steroids knock out the whole cascade pathway. Um, I should, I, I don't know I'm thinking about this more. Like I get really into this stuff. I really like talking about drugs. I really like talking about pain management when I'm thinking about making decisions in a patient steroid versus NSAID. Um, I like my back of my brain is picturing that, like how much inflammation do I need to knock out here? How much inflammation do I want to knock out here? Steroids basically are the big guns. Um, in goats, that's typically dexamethasone because it's by injection, and uh, the 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 thing about selecting these is that those COX enzymes um, also affect other body processes. So there's not many things in the body that do just one thing. Um, the if I knock out that whole pathway for inflammation using a steroid, like there can be benefits to that, but there's also like cautions to that. Um, for example, using a steroid in a pregnant doe uh, can cause her to abort the pregnancy if given at a high enough dose. Uh, more of a concern in sheep. Uh, but, yeah, it's just like confession time here. Once we had a, one of our does, um, I was out f on calls for the day, and my husband was texting me that one of our does was, like, acutely acting, like, neurologic, like she was painful, something had happened, some kind of, like, spinal trauma or something maybe. This was in the winter. She was pregnant. I got home and was exhausted and didn't even think about it and gave her a steroid because steroids I will often select if I'm worried about some kind of nerve, like central nervous spinal injury, head injury, because I really want to calm down the inflammation. And then about five minutes later, I was like, oh, crap. I just gave a pregnant doe a steroid. Fortunately, she was fine, and that was a good example of, like, does are CL dependent. There are different things you can do to knock out that CL, but for this doe in particular, the steroid wasn't enough to do that, which was fine. Um, but that's an example. Um, the steroids also more in small animal patients, and if there's any large animal vets out there, they might cut, like, exclusive large animal vets. I'm very much mixed, where I still, I see a lot of dogs and cats, too. Um, but in dogs and cats, I worry about steroids and effects on the gastrointestinal system, particularly in dogs, because the knocking out that pathway also, uh, knocks out some of the protective mechanisms for the gastrointestinal system. So can dogs, 
Uh, I worry about steroids, and I certainly never mix steroids and non-steroidals in my small animal patients because I worry about the gastrointestinal side effects. Perforating gastric ulcers... (laughs) Uh, are, are a big problem. Um, those things seem to be less of concern in ruminants, though. Ruminants tend to tolerate those things being combined. Um, sometimes I and I am reluctant to do so because probably, like I said, I see so many small animal patients. Sometimes I have given a goat an NSAID and then that has not been enough uh, for that particular animal and then I've gone ahead and given a steroid but calming down that inflammation calms down that redness that swelling that heat and then calms down the pain just because like the increased pressure the increased heat in that area or in that systemic illness for example like if an animal is systemically sick and it has a fever if we can calm that down that's helpful it helps the animal feel better um yeah so that's uh steroids and NSAIDs are like kind and they're really kind of like the only thing we've got that's even kind of supposed to be used in our food animal species Um, The United States and the FDA are more particular or at least slower at getting us newer drugs for ruminant use. Um, Meloxicam is an NSAID that's very popular, especially for me, for chronic use. Um, In my patients, it's tablets. The the dogs, the goats tend to eat it um, with some grain or something like that, so it's easier for owners to administer. Um, It's generally very safe and well-tolerated long-term, so that's nice. Uh, Probably the the most common and has been around for the longest, like I remember when this was like all I had from for my goats for an NSAID was uh, Flunixin, which is the trade name is Banamine. That's what most people call it by. Um, Flunixin, I think of it as a little bit heavier hitting of an NSAID than Meloxicam. I worry about animals being on it for longer because it's a little bit going to be a little bit harder on the kidneys, um, on the GI and that has to do with like the difference in Flunixin and Meloxicam is where they interrupt that inflammation pathway. I'm going to go look up the inflammation pathway at some point today because it's good to review. I like to learn these things and then relearn them. Um, Get it really imprinted in your brain. So steroids and NSAIDs and anti-inflammatories, which are important. Like, honestly, lots of times, if I could only pick one thing for pain in most of my patients, it would be an anti-inflammatory. Um, it's a huge it's a huge part of pain management. And in people, too. Like, I, you know, have a... It's like we take ibuprofen or aspirin or uh, Aleve or whatever, you know. Those are the things that are available. And they're generally, like, there's idiosyncratic responses to some of these things. um, But in general, they're pretty well tolerated. Uh, Anti-inflammatories. The next kind of big 
category of pain relieving medications is not something that I commonly use in my ruminant patients and honestly like it's kind of a pain in my small animal patients too is the opioid family of uh, drugs and this gets into a whole can of worms about like opioid use in humans and the opioid epidemic and overprescribing of opioids and drug diversion and all of those things that are difficult for me as a veterinary practitioner who's interested in pain it makes it more difficult there's all these things that have absolutely nothing to do with my patient that I have to think about when I am prescribing opioids this has a, is like way more something I think about in small animal than in goats because um, I don't I don't typically use opioids like rarely in in goats maybe at like um, a surgical procedure like a C-section in my sedation for a C-section I might use an opioid um, really really painful things that is like a palliative like get through the next few hours or something, a couple days, something like that, maybe use an opioid. Um, these are also drugs that have to be given by injection in ruminants. I've talked with um, one of the herds I work with is uh, a biotech herd and they like those animals are never entering the food stream so we uh, get a, sometimes get a little creative with them. We've talked about using opioids but I don't think that anything you give a ruminant by mouth in terms of an opioid is going to do anything. Um, I think it's just going to like get chewed up in the rumen. Not anything useful is going to enter um, the bloodstream and be very productive. Um, the other thing, and this applies to all the large herbivores, is that um, opioids, well, okay, so opioids work by acting on kappa and mu receptors, I think. There's pure, pure mu receptor opioids. Those are like the big heavy hitting ones. There's ones that work on two different receptors at the same time. Um, side effects of opioids in humans and monogastrics, dogs and cats, sedation, uh, Sedation's kind of the big one. <laughs> um, and probably, like, I don't know. I don't really know because I've knock wood never had to really be on these things for pain. Um, like, feeling of euphoria. That's why people like to do heroin, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> um, and these, and it's interesting too that, like, Animals and people react differently to different opioid medications. So, um, tramadol is the uh, probably like up until the last few years was one of the more commonly prescribed oral opioid medications that we would use in dogs and cats. Um, and for people, it it works fair on pain. Like it, the the receptors and uh, whatever human physiology, like it was a fair medication for pain. Like post-operative pain probably is the most common reason to have it. 
Um, but then in dogs and cats, uh, more recent studies over the last few years have shown that it doesn't really do that much for pain, but it does sedate them. Um, I almost think of like a balancing beam for these uh, medications, and on one side is like the sedative effects of an opioid, and on the other side is the pain mediating effects of an opioid and for tramadol it's like a seesaw almost for um, humans pain is good and it's not that sedating for dogs and cats or at least dogs in particular um, it's not that great on pain but it's pretty darn sedating so interesting there it's not like that for all of them I don't think but that's just probably like the most common one because that's the most common one that has problems um but and I'm talking a lot about dogs and cats here because like the opioids like I said I don't typically use in my large herbivores and the big reason for that is um, that one of the side effects of opioids is slowing down of GI motility, so like gut stasis. Prolonged use of opioids can slow down rumen contractions, slow down intestinal contractions, and this happens in humans too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This I'm getting into like some. Um, I should put a, a warning on the description for this podcast. I'm going to talk about opioids, and if that's a problem for you, maybe don't listen to this one. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Train Spotting, when uh, Ewan McGregor's character is going to stop doing heroin, he stops and he's like, oh look, I'm not constipated anymore, and that is a, an urgent problem because for him <laughs> to find a bathroom because he stopped doing heroin and now his guts are like oh look we're moving again but as we talked about in the rumen episode like gut stasis is a huge problem for ruminants um if the rumen and intestines are not contracting and not moving all of that feed through the body appropriately that's gonna cause a huge issue so that is a definitely a concerning side effect for large herbivores, ruminants, equids, um, and the like. So, so far we've got uh, steroids, NSAIDs as our anti-inflammatories. We've got opioids, which are basically, I didn't talk about this too much, but like basically opioids, like how they function is they just stop pain. Um, the molecules are very similar in shape to like endorphins, I think, and some other things things that um, fit really well and interrupt that pain response on the um, where the nerves connect to the spinal cord and where the signals travel up to the central nervous system. Um, so a pain receptor in those locations is interrupted by an opioid and then you just don't feel the pain. And this is why like you know, often in a, in something that's painful, like a surgery patient or something like that, like an opioid and an anti-inflammatory are often used together. Um, this is multimodal analgesia. Um, the the anti-inflammatory in a post-surgical case, it's usually a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory because one thing I didn't mention about steroids and why you might choose an NSAID over a steroid is that steroids can inhibit healing. Um, 
So usually in like a surgical case, like an NSAID and an opioid combination are very appropriate. Um, the opioid is just going to make the patient feel better. Um, it's going to interrupt that pain response and make them comfortable. The NSAID is going to mediate the inflammation and thereby like prevent the inflammation from getting excessive and allow healing to happen. Um, yeah, so like these things, it's not like a one a one shot deal most of the time, um, but the the things can work well together. Uh, so opioids basically just pain, not doing anything for inflammation, just helping pain, which is you know important sometimes if something's very painful. Um, after those two in our food animal species, another big area that is useful and usable is local and regional anesthesia. So basically that, that means local blocks. Um, a lot of use of lidocaine um, in cows, goats, horses, um, and lidocaine oh what does lidocaine do react the mechanism i think is something about sodium channels and how the nerve impulse is interrupted i think lidocaine like fixes sodium channels open or something like that and that just stops nerves from working if you've ever had uh, novocaine all the canes are like the same family they all work similarly they work for different lengths of time um Lidocaine, bupivacaine, marcaine, novocaine, propericaine, all kinds of canes, tetracaine, uh, all used in different locations and for different purposes and sometimes in different species. Um, but the local anesthesia is useful in, like, just blocking feeling to that particular area. If you've ever had Novocaine for dental work or um, a local block for like uh, a laceration repair on yourself or something like that, like you can't feel it. Um, in human medicine, there's some interesting stuff with like really doing a lot of surgery on and uh, things like that on humans that may have used maybe we used to do it under general but now we do it under local and that's nice for humans because you can say hey human just sit in that chair and we're going to do surgery over here you're not going to feel it look the other way in dogs and cats and goats and horses and things sometimes you need a little bit of extra sedation but as I mentioned in the previous episode, like a, a cow, for example, doing a C-section, local block, and uh, or kind of like regional block, I'll block nerve roots for a cow. For a goat C-section, I'll do a local line block um, and give them some kind of mild sedative um, and do a C-section. Also in local blocks are things like epidurals, which can be helpful. Um, epidurals can be for surgical procedures like prolapse repairs, um, or they can be therapeutic. I had a doe one year with a really rough, rough kidding, and her poor little vulva was so swollen afterwards, and I can just imagine that, like, her vaginal walls, like, that interior where we had to pull those kids out was very swollen and painful, and she was pushing um, even after, you know, after labor was well over and placenta had been delivered and all of that. 
she was pushing and I just felt so bad for her that I gave her an epidural so she just couldn't feel that discomfort for a little while um, so that can be like a therapeutic epidural it be one for um, doing some kind of procedure or one for like a therapeutic purpose um, therapeutic local and regional blocks or something that like I'm totally into uh, it's like a very cutting edge area of pain management and like locating nerves with uh, ultrasound guidance and then blocking them with different different drugs is something that like super cool and very not widely practiced at all at this point um like cutting edge pain management stuff which is real cool um so those things are those are things that absolutely are used in goats um i'll i'll block my castrations i'll block my dehornings um because it makes it nicer for everybody so NSAIDs, opioids, locals, and then we get out into the weeds of certainly of large animal food animal medicine um, with other medications that may help mediate pain in different ways. I use a lot of these things in my small animal patients. Um, some of them are becoming more commonly used in horses, uh, but different we have these like adjunct medications that just help the comfort of the animal just a little bit more when our kind of pillars of pain management are not enough um and then there's there's other supportive things too so like for joint joint disease in horses um and things and dogs and cats yeah I think there's things labeled for cats but certainly horses and dogs there's many like joint supplements and uh, systemic injections which help promote joint health and calm down joint inflammation things that are very specific to help promote promote healthy joint fluid um, you get into areas where you're looking more specifically at what is the problem and what kind of pain is it and how can I help that specific pathology um, get out, yeah, I know, those are, those are kind of, like, you know, getting out there a little bit, and very specific to the case, I don't know that speaking about them at length right now is particularly helpful, but, um, those are, those are the drugs we've got, um, I don't know that this is so much about like pain awareness as like awareness of what we can do, why we do certain things in some animals and not in other animals, and um, why we sometimes one thing isn't enough. Sometimes we do more than one thing, and that works better. Um, but I think I'm gonna wrap this up. The thing that I haven't talked yet about is um, like human and cultural differences in how we are, what we think our, like our cultural tolerance of pain in animals is. And um, as a United States citizen who has traveled to other countries and uh, knows people who have either been trained in other countries or practiced in other countries, or like I've spent some time in other countries, um, like what what the difference is worldwide with how we 
approach pain in animals. That's an interesting thing to talk about. I think I'm going to talk about it next week. And then I've really got to buckle down on this parasite thing because it's, it's looming. Um, but uh, go over to the Instagram at go underscore doc and you just have to like follow the account and tag a friend to maybe win some stickers and um, come say hi and uh, yeah otherwise find the website go doc.com shoot me an email if you're looking for another vet podcast to listen to go check out teacher vet um but that is going to do it for now uh there'll be another tales from the farm episode coming in a few days that i uh had Devin captive to <laughs> record in the truck or in his car while we were taking some goats to the butcher um so he was he's got some input there about how it's all going over at the farm and you can listen to that next week if you like um but yeah i think that's gonna do it for the moment i'm almost home perfect timing and i will talk to you guys soon